All right. So Pastor Rob, oh, good morning, by the way. Um, Pastor Rob called me this last week, and he said, hey, can you teach on Sunday the 10th? So I looked at my schedule and said, yeah, so I relented. <laughs> so in typical Rob fashion, he said, okay, you got all three services, see ya. And, uh, oh, and I have my Mark Lesney shoes, which is apparently a requirement to teach at Calvary. <laughs> so you know. All right. And the most important thing is we have God's Word. So if you would stand, we will read from Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be talking about the holiness of God this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above us stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And I only ask that your spirit would fill this place, both in the giving and the receiving of the word, Lord, as we come before your holiness in your awesome presence, Lord. I just pray again that you would fill us with your word, that you, Lord, would instruct us in our own holiness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, please be seated. So after the first service, my youngest son, Sam, comes and says, Hey, Dad, I think you're a little too serious. A little too intense for a service. And then Pastor Mark Swartz prays with me. He said, Lord, please help Bob to step it up a notch. So I don't know what to do now. So, uh, so I guess we'll see what happens. So this morning we're going to attempt to address God's holiness. Um, it's a huge subject because it is, it's talking about God himself. It's trying to describe, it's trying to encapsulate the God of the universe um, and not an easy task, uh, but we're going to attempt it. Um, even the word holiness, we talk about holy this and holy that all the time, but, and it's a word that I think is misunderstood, especially when it comes to our God. So we're going to use this, these verses in Isaiah to consider God's holiness, and then later on we'll turn to First Peter um, to discuss our holiness. Firstly, Exodus 15:11 says that God is majestic in holiness, and awesome in glory. You know, as human beings on earth, we, uh, we think of God and we talk about his love. We talk about his mercy. Um, we talk the, about the joy that he brings and forgiveness. And certainly all those things are true. But when we look through scripture and we, we read from those who have actually seen into heaven, those few occasions where there's been a glimpse given at the throne of God, you know, Daniel, and here in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and then John in Revelation. First thing they talk about, the first thing that they're overwhelmed with is the holiness of God. The rest of the things don't even go mentioned. I mean, they're there, of course, because God is all those things. 
But what they see above everything else is the holiness of God. One of the meanings of holiness is the idea of being set apart, and certainly God is, uh, is set apart from us, higher, greater, beyond anything that we are, anything that certainly what you'll hear from the, here this morning, beyond description, refers to things that have been set apart or consecrated or somehow made better because of God. And then the second aspect of holiness, the one that we generally think of, is the idea of purity, that our God is perfect. Um, he can't sin. He does what's right. He never does what's wrong. Um, he always, always acts in a righteous manner. And that's what the angels here in Isaiah are affirming in the repetition of this holy, holy, holy. And it's interesting that holy is repeated three times. And it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When you and I are sitting at the computer and we're, so we're sending a message and we want to emphasize something, we go up to the tab, we bold it, or we underline it, or we italicize it. If we're yelling at somebody, we're all caps, right? Or maybe all caps in red, really because we want to get our message across. When we're talking to our kids, maybe we'll raise our voice a little bit or use that tone that they know that they better listen, like right now. Or we'll repeat ourselves. And the literary device that the, the Jews, the Hebrews, used to provide emphasis on a subject was repetition. That's what they used. Just a couple examples. When uh, Paul talked to the Galatians, he said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I now say again. That repetition. Drink my water here. Even Jesus in John eight twenty four, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. A repetition of something that's important. Jesus often said, Verily, verily, or in modern vernacular, truly, truly, followed by something that he wanted his disciples to pay attention. I'm telling you something important here. Now listen. Listen to what I have to say. And that's what the angels are doing here. They're not content with God is holy or God is holy, holy. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. R.C. Sproul talks about this. He calls it the superlative. Nowhere else in Scripture is an attribute of God repeated three times. Nowhere is it held to that height of importance or completeness as is holiness. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or wrath, wrath, wrath. He is all those things, but he is above all things holy, holy, holy. The only attribute of God ever raised to that level, ever repeated three times, ever given that kind of emphasis, ever given that place of importance. Holy, holy, holy. And we as his people must recognize God's holiness and our God is holy. And that's what our conversation will be this morning. So we need to recognize his holiness. Holiness, again, is just simply saying who God is. To say that God is holy is to say that he is separate from us. He's not a creature like us. He's not a creation like us. He's not sinful like us. He's not ordinary like us. He's completely different from anything that we are or ever will be. He's perfect. 
He can't even tempt us, James says. He's so perfect. Don't say you're tempted of God. You're not tempted of God. He can't do that. His character is too perfect. He's too holy to ever do anything wrong. So let me ask you a question. If somebody would come to you and say, you know what? You're really a loving person. How would you feel about that? Not too bad, right? Yeah. I love my wife. I love my kids, my family. Love your parents. Love your, you know, your people around you. I'd be comfortable with that. I mean, I have my moments. But yeah, loving, I'll accept that. Well, somebody says, you know what? You're really an example. You're really faithful. I say, well, you know, I have my times, but I try to do what God commands. I try to live my life in that manner. So reasonably comfortable with that. Now, what about somebody comes to you and looks you straight in the eye and says, you know what? You're really holy. Does that feel as comfortable? Not to me. It's intuitive that that holiness is something that's an attribute of God and not of us. And it's good that we recognize that. It's not natural for us, but it is for God. Sometimes we're gonna, we think that somebody is sarcastic. If I would say that to you, hey, you're really holy. You know, maybe he's calling me holier than thou. Maybe, you know, holy roller because he goes to church and teaches every now and then. But to be holy... Again, holiness is God's chief attribute, and he is far above us. Holiness is what separates him from all other things. So what do you think of when you hear about God's holiness? Someone says, a holy God. Well, there are times in our history, in Scripture, um, when the holiness of God was kind of a scary prospect. Remember Uzzah touching the Ark of the Covenant? I'll read it. And they set the Ark of God upon a new cart. This is from 2 Samuel 6. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gebeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the cart. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his era, and there he died by the ark of God. He touched the holy ark of God, trying to do something good, and he was killed. That's a little scary. Ananias and Sapphira, they came before the apostles. There was a division of goods, selling things and giving to those who, uh, who were poor in the fellowship so everyone could have uh, provision and have their daily needs, yet, uh, needs met. But a certain man named Ananias with, his, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife, and I'm reading King James Version, I apologize for that. I like the old King James, but... And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Basically, it was yours to do with what you wanted. Why do you come and lie? You haven't lied unto men, but unto the God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down <laughs> and gave up the ghost. He died. Okay? So the holiness of God equals death. And that sounds extreme in the Old Testament, and those could be sermons in themselves. But I want to talk about holiness now, because I think that we've gone to the other extreme. That holiness isn't as highly regarded as it should be. The sanctity of this place isn't as highly regarded as it should be. We... uh, We've kind of reached a, a level of familiar, familiarity that I think uh, we not have ought to have reached. 
We've seen the bumper stickers, and sometimes we have a bumper sticker mentality when it comes to God and His holiness and the things we take for granted about our great and awesome God. God is my co-pilot. Really? That's who He is? That's who God is to you, is your co-pilot? And as you're driving down the road with this, God is my co-pilot bumper sticker on your, on your car, you're wearing a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Really? Have you seen these? That's who God is. Even, even calling Jesus, calling God our friend, I hesitate. What does it say? When, is, when does Jesus call us his friends? Anybody. When we obey his commandments. Anybody done that in perfection this week to the degree that we would be comfortable calling Jesus our friend? I'll put my hand down because I'm not. John had a similar vision to Isaiah in Revelation 4, and we're going through Revelation, by the way, in our men's study. John, the best friend of Jesus while he was here on earth, the disciple whom Jesus loved, saw him in heaven, fell on his face as though he were dead. In recognition of the awesome holiness and power of God. Yes, his friend. Yes, his Savior and Messiah. But his holy God fell down on his face. Isaiah, in our verse here, a righteous man, his reaction to his vision of God was to despair for his life when considering the holiness of God. The angels who were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, covered their faces and their feet with their wings. Covering their feet and faces with reverence. They concealed themselves as much as possible in recognition of their unworthiness in the presence of God. Pastor Mark Swartz after the first service said, and angels don't even sin, and they did that. So if the righteous prophet, um, the righteous prophet, the holy seraphim, and the disciple whom Jesus loved exhibit that kind of reverence in the presence of God, in the presence of a Savior, what about us? What about us when we enter into his house? What about us when we approach him in prayer? Sometimes I think we're a little too presumptuous. Sometimes we're a little bit too reckless when we come before him. God told Moses to remove his shoes when he came before him because this is holy ground. It had nothing to do with the ground. It was no more holy than any other piece of ground anywhere out there in the desert. But because God was there, it was holy. And because God was there, he expected Moses to treat it as though it were holy. And if you and I have the promise that where two or three are gathered in our name, let alone a hundred and some, that I will be with you, God promises to be in our presence that he's here, isn't this also then a holy place? And how do we approach him? That same way? The prophet Habakkuk came boldly to God, as again, we're, we're invited to do. But maybe this time it was a little bit too boldly because after he heard God's reaction, he said, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. 
you know, we love our God, he loves us, we're, we have a relationship with him. Was that, when was the last time you trembled in his presence or even thinking about his greatness and his awesomeness and his holiness? Just something to think about. Because shouldn't we be also approaching him, trembling on our heart's knees? Sometimes we come into church um, playing church. We compromise and... We disobey, and we do all of this in the face of a holy God. I think if we saw what John saw, and we saw what Isaiah saw, we saw what Ezekiel saw, I think it would be really, really, really hard for us to sin again. Really, really hard for us to not think of God in the proper perspective. And it is as holy. So it's time for us as individuals and as a church to be holy, or to be more holy, to focus on that holiness. Revelation 15.4 says, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. You alone are holy. Only God has been holy from eternity to eternity. Only God has not engaged in sin or anything unrighteous. We, on the other hand, as Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet God says... He gives this instruction. He gives this imperative to his children. Be holy, for I am holy. We're going to look at this in 1 Peter. He borrows it from Leviticus 11. So there's nothing new between Old and and New Testaments. God is the same. It's the same message. He's the same God. Requires the same things. Hebrews says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. So in what way then are we as unholy, imperfect, sinful creatures supposed to be holy? We said before that our holiness exists in our being set apart, this idea of consecration. Consecration being the dedication of something uh, to a particular purpose, to dedicate somebody or something to something special. Like when we dedicate our children, we're saying, God, I'm, I'm handing my son, my daughter to you, that you would be his or her God as you are my God. And so God expects that we would then be consecrated to him out of our choice out of our free will that he's given us. And I think that's really what he means when he says that he wants us to be holy like him. We can't achieve the same level of holiness as him because he's God. That's obvious, and nobody needs to feel bad about that. But when he says, be holy like I am holy, before we dismiss the idea, well, I can't do it because he's God and I'm not. How in the world can I be holy? How can I be holy? Just understand that he, is, he models this for us. He is dedicated he is devoted. He has consecrated himself to us. Think about creation. Man wasn't created first and then have to have all the stuff come after him. Everything was prepared first. Everything was dedicated, consecrated for the arrival of man on this new planet Earth. He created the environment, the food, the ministry, everything necessary for man to survive and thrive in fellowship with God. God dedicated himself to man. The Lord Jesus, has, is there a better example of someone devoting, dedicating, consecrating themselves for a holy purpose than when Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus came to earth? We're the only reason that he came to earth to die. You and me. He dedicated himself to that, and that's what he expects in return, and he sees that in holiness, just as Jesus' life was set apart. And I think regarding this, this idea, this response in holiness, how we would... Um, devote ourselves to him. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service, or reasonable worship, depending on the translation. This is what I expect. I expect you to willfully, with your whole heart, devote yourself, consecrate yourself to me, the holy God, so that you then can also become holy. Now on the other side of this, Isaiah also tells us that anything we bring to God is filthy rags. All your righteousness is filthy rags. It's really kind of a gross picture. But the best we can bring to him is really of no consequence. But again, don't feel bad about that. Because anything, anyone, is really nothing in comparison to God, right? Because of his greatness. However, he is going to accept those filthy rags from you as a holy offering, depending on the way you bring it. Cain and Abel, the first example. Cain brought a sacrifice. Abel brought a sacrifice. I like Abel's better because I would rather have the lamb roast than the figs and the grapes. But that's my own personal opinion. But that isn't the reason why God chose it. It was because of the way, the manner in which it was brought. I just told my kids again this story this morning on the way to church. told it a couple of times uh, before. But when I was younger, I don't know, nine or ten years old, and my younger brother and my younger sister, I'm not sure my youngest one was even born yet, but um, we went to, had our, uh, the neighbor girl who used to babysit us uh, take us to Kmart because it was my mom's birthday uh, on Christmas, so we wanted to buy her something. Might have been the first thing we ever bought her. So we did the classic little kids thing, pour you know, our pennies and our nickels on the counter, and, and we found this green salad bowl. Mom was famous for her cooking, for a Sunday dinner, so we bought the salad bowl. The ugliest green salad bowl you've ever seen in your whole life, but it was cheap, it was affordable. Okay, this is what we're going to get mom. She's going to love it. And guess what she did? Um, years later, my, my brother and I begged her to let us use it as a shotgun target, but she wouldn't let us. <laughs> because it was special to her. There was no, no intrinsic value to that silly salad bowl. There was nothing good, important, there was no quality in it. But the importance, the blessing, the treasure to her was how her kids brought it to her. So what can we bring God It's not only what, but it's how, right? We bring it the right heart, bring it in repentance, bring it in humility. First Peter, first chapter, thirteenth to the sixteenth verse, will deal with our holiness or the version of holiness that God has granted us. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Hope we're not getting too tired of that word holy. We're hearing a lot this morning. But we'll take the last part first. God wouldn't set his focus. God wouldn't give us this imperative. God wouldn't instruct us to be holy if it wasn't important. Well, holiness, we're not going to see God. That's what he himself said. It's essential to our relationship with him. God said, who hath called us with a holy calling, not according, I'm sorry, Paul said to Timothy, who hath called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. 
So it's God's purpose for us as his people, as Christian. Central theme of our lives is to be holy. And it's something that God's doing. John says in his epistle, To as many as receive him, he gives the power to become the sons of God. You and I are righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. To as many as receive him. We've received him. We've been justified. He sees us as righteous. It's something he's done for us. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as, our, as righteousness. Or righteousness comes from our faith in him. But at the same time, we're also becoming holy. Not there yet. Holy is this process that's happening to us right now through God's power. Through his love. Through his constant care and concern. His pouring into us. His devotion to us. Holiness is the final aim. We want to be fully involved. So once we recognize His holiness, we want to then respond as well. So let's consider a few things. First part, gird up the loins of your mind. Other translations say preparing our minds uh, for action. And it's a willful action. The girding your loins is the, the imagery is of the ancient, uh, ancient warder, warriors binding up their loose garments so they could run or fight or do whatever work that they needed to get done. And we need to be mentally prepared if we're going to get down to the business of the Lord as well. We need to prepare these minds. And not only prepare them, but Paul says to the Romans, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Holiness is something all of, all of God, but it also takes us to decide that it's something that we want. And hopefully we recognize it's something that we need. The world needs to see the power of holiness. If, if we as his people, we as Christians, are not going to pursue holiness or understand holiness or take the time to continue on this path to holiness, then who's going to do it? How is anything going to change? How is anything going to attract those who God yet seeks? The church needs holiness. Mediocre Christians make mediocre churches. And usually that's because there's an absence of holiness. If we're mean-spirited, if we're carnal, if we're shallow as a church, It's not going to accomplish God's purpose. It's holiness that brings about a spiritual change, and the gospel requires it. it. requires us to be holy. And this can only be accomplished through God's power. It goes on and says, be sober, be sober. And in translated means to be watchful. Holiness is um, in itself, one of the activities of being holy is drawing a, a, a border around ourselves, making boundaries We need to be watchful. Ezekiel talks about the watchman on the wall. We discussed this uh, in, the, in the men's group. And we talked about the idea that God has given every one of us as a, as a man, a woman, a, a, a family, a church. He's given every one of us a small piece of his kingdom to take care of. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is likened unto. Here's your piece. Your family, your ministry, your job, whatever it is that he has assigned you to do. Take care of it. Watch over it. Be king over it, if you will, in a sense. But I think in a lot of ways we, we've abdicated the throne. We've let too many things come in from the outside that shouldn't be there. In a lot of ways in this idea of being holy watchman over a holy kingdom that he's given us, 
we haven't always done the best job. Not because the forces are so great out there, because they are, but they're not great in the spirit that's in us. It's because we've allowed them in. Remember the story of the Trojan horse? The Greeks didn't have to break down the door to Troy. They didn't have to force their way in. Greeks, or the citizens of Troy, let them in. And that's what's happening here as well, I think. It seems that we're letting too many things in. My kids are homeschooled for a majority of their lives, so they had kind of a, a somewhat of a bubble, the boundary we're talking about, tried to protect them from things. And most of the kids they saw were at church or homeschool. And it's amazing the things that they knew. How do you know that? I mean, you don't watch that much TV. We certainly watch everything you do and everywhere you go. I mean, you know, we're probably seen as these oppressive parents. How do you know those things? It's out there in abundance. And it's going to get in if we don't watch. And I think that our own permissiveness in our families is destroying the families. Our permissiveness in the church is destroying the church because we are allowing things in. They don't have to force themselves in. They're not beating at the door. Most of the time we gladly open it and we usher them in because we don't recognize it. We're deceived. We don't have that holy mindset to see things as we ought to. So please watch. Be good watchmen on the wall. Examine everything before you let it in. Good watchmen are the most suspicious people of all. Even for things that are seemingly harmless, overreact. Just do it. Be suspicious. Just do it. Be unreasonable in the things that you allow into your life and the lives of your children. Be unreasonable. Be careful. Be good watchmen. And it says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ has fulfilled God's grace. I hope that no one ever, ever enters this holy ground with any degree of pride or arrogance. I can't imagine a more mismatched pairing or combination than God's holiness and our pride. Sometimes we, we come before him and we talk about what we are, what we've done, even the God-given talents that he's given us that we don't always recognize as such. We take credit for them. But everything is due to God's grace, and everything is examined in the light of his holiness. If we go back to our, uh, our chapter here, Isaiah, a prophet of God pronounces a curse and the judgment of God upon himself. Now, Isaiah is the best man in the world at the time. There really isn't anybody more righteous than Isaiah. And he says this, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. What's the greatest instrument or, the, or attribute of a prophet? His lips, his mouth, right? The things that he speaks. But, he's, but his point is that when I examine those things and I compare those things to the holiness of God, they're nothing. So we need to be careful if we come here and we think that we have some measure of goodness or some measure of righteousness that can stand up before God. And again, this isn't the idea of being self-deprecating or woe is me or I'm such a horrible person. I think Rob's convinced us and taught us all now we can openly admit that we're sinners. Okay, We're all in the same boat together. When we come before him, we do so in humility. He's going to reward, he's going to answer a contrite heart. 
Look at this later on. The instant that, uh, that Isaiah confessed his sin or even examined what he thought, what some might have thought were his best attributes in the light of holiness. And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with tongs from the altar. And in verse 7, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Whatever it is in us, seemingly good, and the obvious, not so good, God's going to come and he's going to answer a humble and a contrite heart. He is. He's going to resist the proud, and we'll maybe not get anything out of this morning, and maybe leave the same way that we came. And we come in and we're repentant. We come in with a contrite heart. We come in the knowledge that we are in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. He's going to change us. And he's going to change our lives. He's promised that. Paul had a laundry list of strengths as well. He was born on the eighth day. He was a Pharisee. He was circumcised in the right way at the right time. All these things right from my family. But he said, but what things were gained to me these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish compared to the grace of God that you and I all need to depend on. So regardless of the things we've accomplished or the talents we've been given, we're all dependent on the grace of our Savior. And holiness demands that we depend on His grace. Peter goes on as obedient children do not conform to the evil's desires to evil desires holiness requires that we obey his commandments again Romans 12 offer yourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God I guess the men in the men's group and these were our discussion questions around when we have table time but in this idea of being obedient and not conforming to the world what patterns of living did you break when you became a Christian? What did you change when God changed your life, when he saved you? And I think the second question is more important. What do you need to change now as you've been walking with him? What patterns of living should you now change in this idea of holiness? We spend a good deal of our lives trifling with sin. We kind of push God off to the side sometimes remember, we're righteous in His sight, but we're in this process of becoming holy, and it's something that, that requires our investment as well. And we could talk all day on this, but I think a valuable exercise in, again, in exposing, examining all that we are, all that we have, all that we know in the light of God's holiness, we'll see that we have a lot of work to do. So are you obedient, obedient in the things that you do for entertainment? Where do you go on a Saturday night? What do you do? What's your activity of choice? How do you use your time? Benefit yourself? Benefit others? How do you spend your money? How do you talk? What's your language like here? How are you on the job? How well do you do it? How conscientious are you? How dedicated and faithful are you to your job? How do you treat others? How's your heart when you come in here to worship? Prepared or reckless and not really ready to receive God's word? Are you, obedient, are you obedient in the way that you serve? Do you serve? 
If changes need to be made in the name of becoming holy, let's just decide to do it right now. It's not going to come all at one time. It's incremental because, again, this idea of holiness is a process. But it begins with our consecrating, devoting ourselves to our God as he has consecrated and devoted himself to us. It becomes this relationship. And that's what we have, right? Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's a relationship. Paul said to the Ephesians, and that ye put on the new man after which God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Putting on a new man and consecrating ourselves in God isn't easy. It usually involves some sort of uh, uncomfortable change, a painful change to our nature, so something's taken out of us. Or it involves that we're removed from something that's preventing us from arriving at the degree of holiness that our God expects. We talked a little bit about our testimony before, but when we left our former church, it was um, the hugest step, a, a landmark in this idea of being consecrated to God. Again, that he did, that he led, that he inspired, um, but thankful that we responded to. We're in a church for all of our lives. Um, even our non-family who are in the church were like family, close to us, our best friends. And we left. God asked us, you're not, you're consecrated, devoted to a church here, but I want you to be consecrated and devoted to me. So he had to move us. He had to remove us. And the blessing about this, when we respond to our God and to this encouragement to holiness, is that he acknowledges it, he blesses it. Uh, we have a lot of examples, but my favorite one is because it, it was kind of mine. I I always joke that, uh, well, that's not even a joke. God talks to Tammy all the time. Um, he rarely talks to me, but when he does, he yells. <laughs> so, all that kept coming to my mind was, was the verse out of, uh, it was Luke fourteen twenty six, And there are other parallel chapters there, but it's all about if you're not willing to leave father and mother, essentially all that you've, known before, and take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. So this was, you know, I uh, just tell Tammy, this just keeps coming. Because, you know, when, when, you're, when you're in one place that isn't where God wants you to be, and now you're in, you step into Christianity, you see the truth, you're free, and it's a wonderful thing, but it's almost like, what do I do now? Where do I go? It's, you know, because you, you've been here for so long, and now you're here, even though you know it's right, it's the truth, it's the thing we should do, it was God's will. We had our days. Again, we left, uh, we left a lot behind. So we went to Florida as a family, and we were in Ocala, Florida, and we just love Florida. And we were at a hotel, and we said, well, next, next day was Sunday, so we were going to find a church, a Calvary or an EV Free, some now in our new, you know, Christian hood, a, a Bible-teaching church. So we found an EV Free, right? Yeah, EV Free. So we're driving around. <laughs> we get lost. We go through these residential neighborhoods, sketchy neighborhoods. We drive down this dirt gravel driveway to this brick building with bars on the window of a uh, uh, converted reform school, EV Free Church. Now, we just passed a whole bunch of really beautiful Baptist churches you know, in the south. I don't think it would have been a sin to go to one of those, and it would have been clean and safe. And So we're, so we're <laughs> got to look at each other, what are we going to do here? 
So uh, we said, you know what, let's just go in. So we go in, and uh, all 30 people in the congregation turn around to see the new people walking in. Sat down, had a time of worship, and the pastor comes out, starts the sermon. Luke 14, 26. So again, God confirms, God acknowledges, God blesses. If you allow him to take you on that journey of holiness, if we allow him. So I can say is, at the end here is, be holy in its simplicity and its complexity of that statement, be holy. Focus on it. You won't be doing it alone. You can't do it alone. God has to be in charge of it. But he'll show you the way to holiness. And brothers and sisters, your and my eternity depends on it. Be holy. Amen. Are those guys supposed to be up here now? I have this uncomfortable pause. I don't know what to do with. <laughs> anyway.